0: We will be in First John chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. So if you've got your Bible, you can make your way there. As you are, let me recap a little from previous weeks. John is... This, I mean, these are the last verses in this book. And he is still trying to help us understand that we can know we have eternal life. That we can know that we have life everlasting when we believe in Christ, the Son of God. He's previously said that those who do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they believe, they practice obedience, and they love others. That kind of person whose life is built on those pillars can be assured that they have eternal life, can be assured that they are right with God. But if you don't have those things identifying your life, you can't be sure. And John wants to make clear, John doesn't want, and I don't want anyone to walk out of this room or listening today and to leave and to think, maybe I'm okay, I'm not real sure, but I'm just going to go on with life as normal. No, John's not leaving any middle road here. You know you're saved or you know you're not. And it'd be better to be in one of those camps than somewhere in the middle. So John wants you to know, I want you to know, you can know. God in his word is telling us that she can. Remember last week we talked about it's Jesus that keeps us. The one. Capitalized in the Holman Christian Standard Version, he is the one who has come. Now, in our text today, Jason mentioned, guys, my plan was to say, okay, we're going to take a break from 1 John. We're going to talk about Christmas. And then in God's divine plan... We come to verse 20 and I was reading this in the last couple of weeks and kind of had a feeling of where we were going to end up. I thought, I just got to do this. I got to keep going. This is, this is it. I mean, look at, look at just the first part of verse 20. We know that the son of God has come. That's Christmas. That's Christmas right, right there. Now, before I get too much in, let's read our text. The two verses that we're going to read. And and then uh, start off this morning. Let's read and then we'll pray. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. God, enlighten our hearts and our minds today. Help us to... Set aside other things to focus on you. In Christ's name, amen. Do you see why I was so excited when these things lined up? The Son of God has come. Now, it might might be a small thing to you. It might not be that important. I'm not smart enough to line it out to happen this way. And so God's sovereignty was just exploding off the page to me as preparing for this week, and I, I was thanking the Lord for this. The Son of God has come. That's Christmas. And that might not seem that impressive. The Son of God has come. Okay. We hear that how many times during the Christmas season? I think even still, the centuries of distraction about Christmas over the years has really kind of started to soften the impact of the truth that that kind of sentence should carry. So... If we think about just not the reality of John's statement here, but the truth that it contains, we should stand in wonder and awe at this. God became a man. God the Son took on flesh. And as John says in John chapter 1, his gospel, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Son of God has come. At the very moment that sin broke the relationship between God and man, God introduced his rescue plan into the world. Now, it had already been planned before the foundation of the world, but God introduced it the moment sin reared its ugly head in the garden. When God said to Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, he told her in Genesis 3.15 that one of her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. That was God's rescue plan from the beginning. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Mankind had been waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah, for the rescuer, for the snake crusher, and now he was finally here. God the Son stepped down out of heaven. To dwell with his creation. The sun had come. Here are. We've sang some songs. That talked about this. This morning. But here's how some of the Christmas carols. That we normally sing. Describe this unprecedented event. Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest. In thee. O come O come Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. And you could think, you could think back to to any number of Christmas carols that we sing and see the way that Jesus is described. It's captured in those really well because those writers understood and want to communicate to us the wonder of the idea that Jesus Christ came, stepped out of heaven and came to earth This is a simple statement that John uses, and it sums up something that all of creation had been longing for up until that day, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. In verse 20, John says, And we know that the Son of God has come. That in and of itself is an incredible truth. Think with me about some of the things, the incredible things that the world had already seen up to this point. They'd already seen a worldwide flood where things started fresh. They'd already seen a miraculous deliverance from captivity for centuries in Egypt. They'd seen, while they were in the desert, they'd seen bread fall from heaven. They'd seen water come out of rocks. They'd seen judges with superhuman abilities, spirit-given abilities, and they saw prophets who wouldn't die. The world had already seen some incredible stuff, but nothing compared to the Incarnation. Nothing compared to God taking on flesh and coming to be with his people. Think about this. Jesus was with God. We talked about this in 1 John already. Jesus was with God at creation, part of the Godhead, creating all of the galaxies, all of the living things. And Philippians tells us he was in the very form of God, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, and chose to serve the ones Whom he created. Friends, we live in 2020. But this would not have happened in that day and age either. A boss does not go and serve his employees. The creator does not go and serve those whom he created. And yet it happened. There's a band called Down Here that sings a song called How Many Kings. And it says this. I appreciate the way that they say this. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one. So Merry Christmas, the son of God has come. But if all that happens in the incarnation is just that Jesus came down to dwell with his people for 33 years and that was it, It's still worthy of being repeated and celebrated. But if that was it, it really doesn't change anything for people like us alive today. Unless you were alive with him in the moment, it wouldn't change much of anything. So John goes on to explain how the incarnation affected all of history, impacted all of history. Look at verse 20 and following. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding So that we may know him who is true. Stop there. So that we may know him who is true. So Jesus not only stepped out of heaven to save sinners, but he also came to give them understanding about him who is true. You see the multifaceted effort of Christ here? Jesus Christ has come so that everyone who believes in him knows the Father. You believe in Jesus? you also know God the Father. Everyone who is found in Jesus Christ simultaneously is found in the Father. Listen to Hebrews chapter one, first three verses. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And listen to this. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when a person comes to know Jesus, they come to know God himself because Jesus is the exact imprint of God. He is God made flesh. And you can be sure that when John is talking about knowing God, he's not just talking about head knowledge. Facts and information about God don't necessarily translate to knowledge of him, And they certainly don't always translate to love for him. I could give you a list of all the things that Rod likes and dislikes. And you could memorize that list and know every answer. But do you really know me? You could know about me. You could know some of the things that I like or don't like. You could know facts. But memorizing a list of those likes and dislikes doesn't really make us friends, does it? You could know about me, but you wouldn't really know And so John goes on to clarify this point when he says, and we are in him who is true. This two letter word in is important here. What does it mean to be in him? In the Greek, the word for in means to be fixed positionally, to be in something, to be in someone. We are fixed positionally in him. We give ourselves wholly over to something or someone. We're in it. It also means that we are at rest in something or in someone. Salvation is more than just facts. It's more than just information. A relationship with the Father means being in Christ alone, in Him. Knowing God means being in God, and being in God means being in Christ. Let me point something else out here too. If the Son of God had not come, None of us would really know God at all. If Jesus had not come, we could not understand Him who is true. Jesus is God's revealed truth in the world. Without Him as the truth, we would have no foundation for truth. We would have no moral compass on which way to point us to right and wrong. Jesus is that truth. Jesus is that compass. We would, without Him, mirror the world before the flood where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Or we would be like Israel throughout the Old Testament, where they constantly did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But because Jesus is the truth, a person can only come to know truth in him. Look at the end of verse 20. It says that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. I think this is another tally mark on John's big board, confirming Christ's divinity. So if he's got this big board, he's making a bunch of tally marks. This proves it. This proves it. Here it is again. He's making another tally mark confirming Christ's divinity. He is the true God, he says. He is the eternal life. Yeah. Jesus really and truly is God. Remember Hebrews 1 that we just read from? Exact imprint of his nature. Now this is really interesting. Flip back to 1 John chapter 1. Go back to the first chapter of this letter. Look at verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Eternal life in verse 2 is the same way that he's using eternal life in verse 20. He's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the eternal life. He really is the true God. Can you see now why we've been saying that it's Christ who rescues us? It's Jesus who keeps us. Why we can't trust in anyone or anything else to give us meaningful and eternal life. Friends, he is eternal life. It's wrapped up In Him, You can't memorize enough facts to understand it and then it be true for you. You have to be found in Jesus because he is eternal life. I've heard John Piper say something like this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the physical pleasures you could want, with no human conflict, no natural disasters, if you could have all that in heaven, could you be satisfied even if Christ were not there? Could you have all of those things that we dream about but not Jesus and still be satisfied in heaven. That sort of means that he is the eternal life. That's why we put our faith in him, not just for what he can give us, but for who he is. Jesus is not only the reason we have eternal life. He is eternal life. He is our life. It's like John is playing cards. I'm not going to ask you if you play cards because we're in a Baptist church, but if you played cards before, It's like John has a deck of, you know, a handful of cards and he's just putting it, he's just laying it out. He's not holding anything back. Here it is. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is eternal life. He's not planning some sneak attack to trick you into thinking something or believing something. He's not keeping anything quiet. He's just saying, hey, here it is. Here's the truth. Here is the life. Here is knowledge and understanding. All of this belongs to you when you are united with Christ. Every bit of it. God is true and you know him by believing in and being found in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't stop other people and other things from trying to take the place of God in our lives, does it? Our flesh, the world, the evil one, they all constantly try to convince us that lesser things are somehow more important than God. This time of year, maybe more than ever, we're tempted to think that. God knows this, and John knows this, and so he warns Christians to be on guard against God's substitutes. Look at verse 21. This this is another kind of debated verse, if it's even John who said this. It seems to be so out of the ordinary with what he's just been saying, almost just tacked in on the end, but I think there's consistency here verse 21 he says little children keep yourselves from idols this world is trying to tell you that there are god substitutes if you want to put god at that place in your life that's cool you do you but i'm going to put something else there and i can be just as satisfied and moral and good as you can be and that's false thinking there's a god who alone is true but there are also false gods John calls them idols. And these idols would turn your attention and turn your focus and turn your devotion away from the one true God. And so John says, don't let them. Now there's no exclamation mark here, but this is a warning. Little children, beloved children, keep yourselves from idols. A guy named Ben Merkel wrote a book called What is the Meaning of Idols? And he says this, those who claim to be Christians... But do not believe the truth concerning Jesus. Do not live a righteous life in obeying God's commands, and do not love others. Are in danger of idol worship. This is an idol because they have created a religion that is false. This is a religion that man has created and not that of the apostolic faith. This is nothing short of idolatry. Hear this, he says: to embrace a form of Christianity that allows one to deny the truth about Jesus, not live a godly life or not love others, is to create an idol. And that is something that all Christians must constantly guard against, he says. Hundreds of years before he said that, another guy named John Calvin in his book, Institutes of Religion, says something shocking but also very accurate about idols. He says, the human mind is a perpetual forge of idols. Your heart, your mind is an idol factory. It really is. Think back through biblical history. Rachel in Genesis stole her father's idols from him. Joshua says that Abraham's father, Terah, worshipped false gods. In Exodus, the people of Israel made a golden calf. Isaiah speaks often and in very sarcastic terms about idols. History confirms that our minds and our hearts are indeed idol factories. And you... You just have to think back to your own life to know it's true, don't you? Were it not for the power of the Holy Spirit, we would choose anything else. We would choose everything else ahead of God. This is a result of our fallen nature. That's what comes naturally to us. Our default is to elevate anything above God that we can. Think back to the garden. The serpents lie to Adam and Eve revolved around idol worship. What did he say? To Eve, he said, You surely will not die. You will be like God. The enemy whispered the lie that they would be like God, that they would themselves be gods. Satan was tempting them and convinced them to elevate themselves above God. And in doing so, created the first idols. They had the best chance to live in obedience to God, and they didn't do it. Friends, we wouldn't either. We don't do it. Notice something in the text here that's interesting, though. The object of idolatry can actually be good things. Keep yourselves from idols, he says. The object of our idolatry can actually be good stuff. Being like God, ultimately, is a good thing, but not the way that Satan says to get there. Almost anything can be made an idol when it's elevated to the wrong place. You know this. Food, your hobbies relationships, pleasure, even love can be elevated to a wrongful place. Daniel Akin in his commentary says this, when we turn a good thing into a God thing, it becomes a bad thing, an idol. He also defines idols as anything you love, enjoy, or pursue more than God, more than Christ, who is the true and eternal life, as John says here. Idols say we are true when God says only Christ is true. Idols say that they give life when God says only Jesus truly provides life, eternal life. Idols promise but can never deliver, whereas God says Christ both provides and delivers. Friends, the enemy lies and says that the things of this world will satisfy you. We're bombarded this time of year with the idea that the gift under the tree Will satisfy us but you know what happens and if you have kids you know this especially well the joy of that wears off real quick like days <laughs> that stuff that stuff doesn't bring lasting joy because it was never intended to bring lasting joy only Jesus is everything and everyone else are just counterfeits and insufficient substitutes for Jesus They can't truly provide the things that they promise, but Jesus can because he is the true God, because he is the eternal life. So John says, little children, beloved ones, keep yourselves from idols and look to Christ alone. You will be bombarded with false substitutes, so keep yourselves from them. The church aids us in this. Brothers and sisters, look around. We aid each other in this in reminding us that this stuff of this life is unimportant. Stuff of this life is fleeting and temporary. We must keep our eyes on who is true, on who is right. I want to close this morning with lyrics from Sovereign Grace Music's version of O Holy Night. This is a wonderful version I'd encourage you, if you've got access to the internet at home, go listen to this version this afternoon. They have a second verse that's new, and this is what they say. Humble he lay, creator came as creature, born on the floor of a hay-scattered stall. True son of God, yet bearing human feature, he entered earth to reverse Adam's fall. In towering grace, he laid aside his glory, and in our place was sacrifice for sin. Fall on your knees, oh hear the gospel story, oh night divine, oh night when Christ was born. May the wonder of the incarnation never be minimized or lost on us. To think that God left heaven to dwell among us should always, always cause us to forget everything else. And give him glory for it. Let's pray. Lord, our, our minds and our hearts, they kind of want to go a lot of different directions this morning. So steady them in Christ. We know that when we walk out of here and we start celebrating this week that the evil one, our own flesh in this world, they triple team us into thinking that the stuff of this world is better than you. And at times we're convinced of that. Lord, we repent of that. We want you to be first place. We want you to be most important. We want you to be what is exalted in our lives, not even the good things that we try to replace you with. Lord, we want just Jesus. We're thankful for the reminder that the Son of God has come, given us understanding for who is real. Lord, thank you for the truth that we find in him, that he is the truth, that he is the eternal life, that all we need to do is set aside our own desire for control and put our faith in Jesus. And in obedience, we follow him. Lord, thank you for laying aside your glory, for stepping out of heaven and taking our place on the cross. Thank you for serving the ones that you created. Lord, keep us from idols, even the idol of ourselves, even the idol of good things. Help us to stay focused on what you deem as most important. Christ, the eternal life. May we be found in him today, resting positionally in Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his life. Thank you that he now intercedes on our behalf. May we never lose the wonder of these things. In Christ's name I pray.